Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, the publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital multimedia magazine and website where we review the top books and films having an impact on the global awakening. Our website is ncreview.com. Now, on this show, we explore the many and varied faces of conscious awakening and what that can mean in your life. Our guest today is Linda Martella Whitsett, an inspiring and respected spiritual teacher. Linda is the senior minister at Unity Church of San Antonio and a mentor for emerging leaders in new thought. Her first book, How to Pray Without Talking to God, was the winner of the 2011 Best Spiritual Author Competition, and today we are going to explore her new book, Divine Audacity, Dare to be the Light of the World. Welcome, Linda. I'm so delighted you could be with us. Oh, it's such my pleasure, and I'm so grateful to be back with you again. You know, Linda, it was interesting as I was reading your background how you went from uh, Roman Catholic to uh, yoga ashram groupie um, and eventually ended up as a unity minister. Tell us about your personal journey. Well, I just feel like it was, a, it was an expansion over time, an evolutionary process. and I'm so in touch with so many people who've done very similar uh, kind of a trajectory. I think I went from a very um, a concise and confined, I might say, understanding of what uh, the divine is. And as I learned more, I... It made sense to me. The more the more aspects of what God is began to make more sense. And uh, as I tried on the principles that I was learning, uh, you know, they just became a part of my life. So really, I have the exact same, um, you know, feeling tone to my spiritual life as I did when I was a little girl and was captivated by the rituals in my Catholic church. Uh, but it's just that today I just see them so differently and, and more, maybe more inclusive. You know, God is a more inclusive concept to me today and certainly not at all religious. That's very interesting coming from a minister. Um, how do you distinguish between spirituality and religiosity, particularly in the context of your ministry? For me, I believe that the spiritual is is a recognition of those aspects of our life and our nature and, and our way of expressing that are maybe more mystical, beyond the appearance, uh, beyond the apparent physical nature of reality. Um, to call those religious really. I think what we start to do is create a dogma around that and a sort of a finality is that humans have decided this is how God is and this is what is true, and we create a whole um, a whole movement, a whole uh, um, you know a whole sect, uh, religious discipline around that. Whereas for me, I just see it constantly moving and evolving and shifting, and my awareness constantly. Uh, being challenged. So for me, it's, it's a matter of just simply tuning in to the invisible aspects of life that are, that are felt and recognized and, 
and that we interact with and experience. So would you say that spirituality, in your understanding, has an element of mysticism in it? Well, it does, because I think it's our way of trying to explain the mysteries of life, the mysterious aspects of life, that which we cannot see, but we can sense. I think that's one of the most profound and fundamental yearnings of humanity is to understand the mystery of life, understand why we're here. Um, you called your book Divine Audacity. So let's explore both of those words. I, I just love I love the concept because I love to think of myself as being audacious and daring <clears throat> uh, on my path. So what do you mean by divine and what do you mean by audacity? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, divine is for me a lot like the word spiritual or spirituality. Divine is just is, is identifying it's something more than just human. You know, it's the aspect of ourself that is beyond the the obvious, um, the physical world and its and its senses and and uh, capacities. And it's it's just beyond that. So divine doesn't relate in my in my awareness as a, to the deity to a personality that we would call God, um, but divine speaks to uh, that spiritual aspect of life. And divine audacity means that I dare to tap into that aspect of my nature that I cannot see but I know is greater than my everyday thought of what I am and what I can therefore do. And these are things that we all experience, these capacities uh, we, we find an uncommon uh, strength during times of great challenge. You know, we find ourselves being able to be a champion of the underdog, and, and we do that with great gusto. And when we do those things, we are, I think, operating from this divine audacity, this aspect of ourselves that is bold and that understands itself as, as greater than only human. Well, you cycle around this notion many times within your book, so uh, it's, it's almost like spiral dynamics. Um, we'll, we'll definitely come back to the notion of audacity. But I wanted to ask you uh, about the many uh, references to uh, scripture that you include. Both um, both the, uh, the, the the Hebrew Scripture and the um, the New Testament. <clears throat> For someone who has kind of moved beyond religion, what keeps drawing you back to the words of the Bible? Mm. Oh, it's such a beautiful question. I think it's because it is my history. There's a deep root of my first. My first experiences of being hungry to know the mystery came in those settings. Some of those words are familiar to me, and I figured, if that's true for me, there's probably lots of readers like me that that have uh, that have expanded beyond that tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, especially, which has been dominant in this Western culture. 
so for me, it's a way of sort of bridging a gap and um, and stretching beyond that beyond that to understand that those scriptures actually have some magnificent meanings within them and that we could interpret them in ways that really are are stimulating for us of this greater understanding, especially when I think about the Hebrew scriptures, uh, you know, and and Jesus's language, his, his you know ancient Aramaic language. These Semitic cultures and their language were very, um, you know, they they lean themselves toward parable and toward explaining the mysterious through storytelling and through uh, metaphor. So, to me, being able to spend some time in those ancient writings, um, they give me, uh, they, they inform my awareness today. And I thought that the readers would find them a nice bridge for themselves. So, do you see this book as kind of bridging between new thought and mainstream? Well, I think it can. And I certainly wrote it for knowing that so many people are in that. They, they're, 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 let's say, on the, on the bridge crossing from tradition toward, from, from being um, theistic oriented toward being a non-theist, toward humanism, toward, you know, seeing that God is not uh, a person, a personality. And, um, and so how do you stretch from your tradition where, where God was definitely other and definitely a man? You know, how do you stretch from that? And I thought this was one way that I could maybe assist readers who were making that shift for themselves. You certainly quote uh, Fillmore frequently, the one of the um, founders or, or uh, I guess, um, philosophers of New Thought. Um, how would you describe the, the central New Thought principles? Well, Charles Fillmore was co-founder of the Unity Movement, and um, as a Unity minister, I studied him a lot. <laughs> so he did he did his words and his teachings uh, from a hundred years ago and, and around that time certainly have have given me a lot to contemplate and a, a, a starting point for my own journey in new thought. Uh, but he, and he is one of many who who wrote in, in um, you know a century ago and thereabout that uh, that were tuned in. I think to a lot of the truths that are being revealed today in more contemporary new thought settings. Um, but they were some of the, the starters of that, and actually they studied. They studied Eastern teachings. Fillmore studied, you know, the, the ancient Vedas and things like that that very few people of his day were accessing. And theosophists and, and um, many of the others who were who were beginning to um, to move from traditional uh, religious thought. So I find them sort of a foundation. And yet what I love about Fillmore is that he said time and time again, um, you know, if it seems like sometimes I'm contradictory, I just reserve the right to change my mind. (laughs) As I I have greater insight, I will speak to it. And so he was ever evolving, as I certainly hope I am, and and imagine that, that we're all here to do. Well, you know, one of the things that we lose sight of 
is that all of these spiritual theories or, or approaches are filtered through human beings. And so they're, you know, almost by definition, colored by their own life experience. And what is incumbent upon us to do, I believe, is to engage our own critical faculties and, you know, listen to what makes sense to us. And I think through that approach, we kind of build a mosaic of uh, a map of the universe that that we can deal with um, and and progress along until the next piece of the puzzle comes in and kind of changes the picture for us. I like what you're saying, Miriam, and you're reminding me that one of the things that intrigued me about a yoga study many years ago was precisely that the, that the teachers would say, try it on. Try this for yourself. Let it be like a science project for yourself. I had never gotten that instruction in my traditional religious upbringing. In fact, when I would question some of the the rather unbelievable kinds of mysteries, the way they were explained, the, the miraculous things, you know, about Jesus and about Mary and about God, you know, I would I would be told time and again, you just have to take it on faith. You'll never you don't you don't understand it. But I liked in yoga it said, try this on. Live this you live this way yourself and see if you can prove its value in your life. And Unity does the same thing, which is why, again, it attracted me. And um, I found it. I found that the ability to use my own faculties, my own uh, wisdom faculties, and the power of understanding and order, and all these, these inner faculties, to actually use them consciously, to be able to come to conclusions myself, to be able to to use what works for me, and try on new ways of seeing. Um, boy, this is how we evolve. This is how God gets bigger, and this is how our own lives become more of, I think, a, a gift to others. And I like what you said at the beginning about gaining a wider perspective. I like to think of it as when you walk up a mountain, the higher up you get, the farther uh, out across the plains you can see. And... As you can see farther, you can see the connections among all the, the whole landscape. And that is what I think the, the new spirituality is doing for us. It's showing us the connections among the different earnest seekers of God. Now, what is, what is your sense of God? For me, God is is power. It is the invisible force or power uh, by which all things come into being. So it is the it is the what Charles Silmore called the substance or just the the invisible essence of all that is. That is not just a, a um, what would you call it a. a it's not an inactive, and it's not uh, simply a static thing. It, it actually is a, is a movement. It's actually energetic. It's a vibration. And uh, 
And to me, it contains within it all possibilities. So I like what Deepak Chopra refers to it as the field of infinite possibilities. <laughs> you know, that, that kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens that Jesus described in his teachings. To me, that's, that is God. It's the realm of, you know, all that could possibly be. And to me, that's, that's that invisible that I tune into. So, to me, God is, and I am, and I am within all that God is, which means that, that wherever I am, unity says this, wherever I am, God is. And what I mean by that is that, uh, that you know, some people say God is, is within me, and, and yeah, well, if, if God is, is all that is, then it is within and all around me, and I'm ever in that uh, in that power that is, and my my effort in connecting to that is that I drop my perceived borders, so I forget that, and I sort of smudge the edges of of my own limits. You know what I think is the end of me, the border of my body, the the edge of my own thinking, for example, and I I smudge those edges so that I I reduce that perception of separation and the more I do that the more I find that I have capacities that I don't when I see myself as only limited that is really a recurring theme in your book it's it's an exhortation to be the divine uh, essence that you were born as Um, uh, there's a quote in your book that absolutely tickled me. Um, You said, God doesn't give life in the way you and I give each other presents. God is life, and you give life to your dreams and intentions. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I suspect that we need to take a break and... We will be back in just a few minutes. I am speaking with Linda Martella Whitsett, the author of Divine Audacity, Dare to Be a Light of the World. Linda, what is your website? Oh, it's www.urdivine.com. That's the letters U-R-Divine.com. Very good. We'll be right back. Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. Has the universe been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? 
I'm Miriam Knight, and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it, they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives, and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. See straight and save. These days, everyone seems to see things differently. But from your eyes, you can see straight and save. Right now, get glasses online at 70% off at Glasses USA. There's a 100% guarantee, too, on top brand men, women, multifocal, and even prescription sunglasses. Visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Glasses USA, and you will see straight and save. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. We're back. I'm Miriam Knight speaking with Linda Martella Whitsett, the author of Divine Audacity, Dare to Be a Light of the World. Linda, before the break, we were talking about the difference between the nature of God as being sort of synonymous with the giver of life and the nature of man as being the agency of God. You want to pick, pick up from there? Yes, that's a that's an interesting way to to speak of it. And what I what I just simply say is that the, when I think about God as a doer of things, I am thinking about God anthropomorphically, anthropomorphically, and I am, you know, expecting that God behaves as a human being would behave. Uh, and. And so then we talk about God as God is the giver of all things. God, God loves. God heals. God um, gives us life, as, as you quoted. Um, and and the, there's only a real problem with that when we see that that love, that healing, isn't distributed evenly. <laughs> Have you noticed, right? Have you noticed? I mean, the same. You can pray, the same group of people can pray for one person, that person heals and gets better, and another person, the same condition, dies. And people start saying, well, you know, we prayed hard and therefore God listened to us. Well, what happened to the other chap? You know, that, that person, what, God didn't care for that person? We start getting into territory where we find the what appears to be uh, a God that is um, capricious, that is arbitrary. And, and then we start really getting confused. And if that, so if that's how we define God, then we end up in confusion. But if we could, if we could stop making God into a person and see that God is the very power that's at the, at the root of all that's possible and that we can find those same qualities within ourselves, we can, we can understand that God is the invisible essence of, of all power. And then we, as the ones who are embodied, the ones that actually are in a form, a state that's, a, that's in form, um, and in a three-dimensional 
experience that we become the expressors of that power. So I say, God doesn't love you. God is love. And, and, and therefore you are that love in expression, or you are love loving. You know, and that's a distinction that when I started to really comprehend that and started to um, make sense of that for myself, it was it was freeing, and it and it gave me access to some capacities that I was not aware that I had, and that's what calls for audacity because that is an audacious statement, isn't it? I mean, people people have told me I'm blasphemous thinking that way. <laughs> what are you saying? That you're God? I'm saying that all that God is, I am as I become conscious of that power and I enact it into my life. I use that power um, you know, for good in my life. I do what I have always said that God does. And you know, if that makes me God, that's just a definition. You know, that's just somebody's uh, way I, of, of I think the, I think the fundamental um, problem that people have here is when you think of God, you think of all that is, and so when we say you are God, um, a person cannot envision, um, you know, stepping into that identity of this great being because they think of God as the being outside of them. I like to think of ourselves as being sort of the the eyes, ears, and the hands of God in physical reality and physical form, because um, God actually needs. We need um, hands to build, to form, to create um, in in the physical world. It's it's kind of like a um, a sandbox for the universe. But that might be getting really, really blasphemous in some years. So maybe I'll just um, hand hand over. But, but I think you're you're really you're really on point with that. I mean, it's all of the mystics through time have described to describe it in similar ways, you know, speaking about uh, the hands and the feet, the, you know, uh, is that Teresa of Avila who says uh, Christ has no hands on earth now but yours, mm. you know, yeah. and that's, that's sort of the way it is. We become the expressors of that inexpressible, the, you know, the visible evidence of the invisible power that is. Now, you know what? I find that that if people, you know, if we get away from the sort of the, the the big statement, the I am God statement, and I don't use that. If you notice in my book, I don't say that because I know that's a rub. <laughs> it is for me, too. I'm not all that. You know, and that's what, we, that's what our minds say, and that is absolutely the case. I'm not all that, not in every moment. I am what I can, what I can grasp in this moment, what I can express in this moment, that's the, that's the part of God that I am in this moment, is what I realize in this moment and can therefore bring into expression now. I like the way Neil Donald Walsh phrased it. He said we are individuations of the, the divine flame, so we're little sparks off the divine flame. Speaking of yes. flame, um, your tagline is Dare to be the light of the world. What does being the light of the world mean to you, Linda? 
Yes, well, I like the, the, the theme of the light because, again, it's a universal image and universally understood to have, uh, to have meaning, uh, spiritual meaning. So it has to do with, um, you know, lighting up that which has been dark. So it's the, the idea of enlightenment or coming into greater awareness. It's about, you know, being able to see what has been invisible. Now it becomes visible. So the light is, to me, it's a, it's a consciousness of awareness and awakeness, uh, you know, and, and it's the awareness specifically about those invisible universal forces that we know and use every day, but it's now we ramp them up, we study them, we cultivate them, we shine them. That's just a way to describe that. We shine them in, in the most noble, generous, most uplifting ways that we can, that when we're doing that, that's the light of the world. That means we're adding light. We're adding, um, you know, a conscious living. We're adding a, an enlightenment to the, into the world, into the world of our experience. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that science seems to be coming closer to supporting this notion of light being the carrier of information and um, being the irreducible quantum and possibly the the um, the way that consciousness encodes information. Yes, and light, you know, light actually is a spark, so it's like, you know, we think about electricity, we think about the moment of, uh, uh, you know, of the juxtaposition of the two poles, the positive and negative poles, and, you know, that... that Frankenstein and Shelley, yeah. Yes, that's, that's, and that's really sort of what we're talking about. We're saying that we, we bring together these circumstances of our lives and of awareness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, um, the the notion of light and consciousness is, I think, probably the central theme of this bridging of of science and spirituality, and it, it's something that I think we'd like to explore a little further. But we do need to take a break just now, and then we will be back with Linda Martella Whitsett author of Divine Audacity. trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What wags the world? Tales of conscious awakening. 
Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. If you're like the 8 out of 10 women that say finding genes that fit is a problem, well, your problem is solved. Lee Jeans has done extensive research, and they have genes that fit. There's even an online Lee Fit Finder so you can find the right fit for you. Imagine jeans that instantly slim you with a custom fit and no gap waistband. And guys, kids, Lee has jeans for you too. Click through to Lee's Jeans on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and get what fits. Do you want HealthyLife.net radio programming everywhere? TuneIn Radio is your mobile solution. The app is available for iPhone, BlackBerry, and Android phones. Search your app store today. Search for TuneIn and take HealthyLife.net radio programming everywhere you go. Back, I'm Miriam Knight speaking with Linda Martella Whitset, author of Divine Audacity, and her website is U R, the letters U and R, dash. You are what, Linda? You are divine. You are divine. <laughs> no less. Wonderful. <laughs> you know, um, we were speaking about light just before we went to break, and so many people sign off their letters, uh, their emails, love and light. It's like the two concepts go together like bread and butter. Love is one of the most um, overburdened words, I think, in the English language. Um, can you give us a little light on the subject of love? Oh, I would love to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I will begin by just saying that love is one of 12 of our spiritual powers that are addressed within the, the chapters of this book. Uh, and that love is, you're so, I, said, I love the way you said it, that it's under, what did you say? It was under, oh, over, over, I say overexposed or, you know, it's used for everything. Yeah. But the way we generally in our culture think about love is that we think of love as a feeling. And I know we define it in many other ways because we, we put feet on that love by, in service and things like that. So I know that it, it, it permeates our actions as well. But what I try to do in this book is to look at each of these very common characteristics of human beings. And I ramp them up. I look at how are they more than just a feeling or, you know, a common kind of theme. How are they actually uh, a power? How do they actually make life different? How do they shift us? So what, I, what I'm really excited about is that the power of love is defined in this book 
in three ways. There's three aspects to it. And the first is magnetism. The second is harmony. The third is unity. Each of these words by themselves is, you know, could be studied for a lifetime. And I didn't make this, these definitions up. These actually came from New Thought uh, masters from generations before, including Charles Fillmore from Unity. Uh, magnetism is precisely what is involved in the, the studies that have been done in recent years on the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. Magnetism is is love in the in the spiritual um, realm. The, the great magnet of the universe, Charles Fillmore said, is love, just as gravity is the magnet uh, for the earth realm. So that's how much of a powerhouse divine love is, that it's magnetism. And that means that that, that which I hold in my mind, I could be said, really, to love it. <laughs> that's, that's where we get that. I love it. I'm, I'm holding that thought. I'm holding that intention in my mind, meaning I'm loving it. I'm devoting myself to that idea, and I'm drawing uh, that which looks like that. I'm drawing it into my experience. I'm walking right into situations that, that tend to answer that desire. So that's the magnetic power of love. And this is, you know, we say we're attracted to one another. <laughs> you know, even in, in uh, human relationships, it is underneath that the, the pure humanness of it is the actual power of attraction or of magnetism. It's, it's what holds it all together. And so, therefore, the harmony of love is, is what's possible to happen when we feel confused or disharmonious, we can know that we have this power of love that we are actually can pull together and bring into, uh, into integration all these seemingly uh, discordant aspects of ourself as well as uh, different relationships. I like the way in your book you have, uh, at at the end of each chapter, you have a meditation and then uh, a list of practices. Um, How did you uh, develop those? Yes, and I I really wanted, for students who wanted, or readers who wanted to study these powers, I wanted to give some, uh, some suggestions for how we might actually practice them in our day-to-day life. So that's where they came from, from my own work and from, you know, the work of others through the years. Um, and, you know, there are, there, there is a, a guided meditation that you can read to yourself um, and, and put yourself into that power and call it forth from within you. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then you can also, there's some suggestions there for doing some uh, some journaling or some sharing with a friend, some ability to kind of think through uh, these powers and being able to try them on. You, that's it. you got to try them on. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, you have 12 powers here from Fillmore's work, and you mentioned that many of them kind of come in pairs. So um, I think it was wisdom that goes with love. Is that correct? Well, wisdom and love, I mean, they all really do harmonize together, but wisdom and love, I just think of it this way. You know, wisdom is our capacity to intuit, 
to uh, to discern, and um, and it's more of intelligence that comes from the feeling side of us, right? So from our gut, whereas, um, um, well, and and uh, love, of course, is also that is sort of a unifying principle. But I like to say this: I mean, when we make decisions, we want to make them from our from our in our head and our heart. We want to marry our intellectual power of wisdom, which is our capacity to judge things for ourselves, right? To uh, compare and contrast, to think, to think things through logically. I mean, that's an important part of how we navigate our experience in the world. So, to me, it would be a really sad thing if I were to love without wisdom. Because love without wisdom can be really dumb. <laughs> I mean, right? You know, well, but I love him, you know. Even though he beats me, I love him. So, you know, without that quality of, of wisdom, we're, we're half blind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and just the opposite is just as bad. I mean, because, because making a judgment without love, without the unifying power, can be very harsh and, uh, and stark. So, so to me, that's just one example of how our powers actually are compatible. They work together. We're never really in isolation. It's just like to look at them, you have to pull them apart, sort of like looking at the prism in different aspects. But it's really one prism. So it's one, it's one wholeness of being. It's one God. It's one uh, divine audacity. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking when you were talking about wisdom and love uh, in the context of relationships, I was thinking of it in the context of eating, how, you know, we might love chocolate ice cream or uh, pizza or something, but um, we need to employ our wisdom to know when it is good for us and in what quantities and what timing it's good for us and when to avoid it, but also... On the other side, you know, sometimes um, you can be wise and, and rigorous about what you eat, but every so often you have to let your hair down and enjoy life a little bit. So everything in good balance. Well, and that's a good example, and I think it's even it's even deeper than that for the the, the real release of the power of it is, you know, so this idea of loving loving a, a food or a dessert or a, a sugars or something like that. You know, that idea that I'm attracted to those, I'm feeling the attraction of those. And so I could go deeper with that and, and say, what, am I, what is my attraction? What am I really being attracted to that, that, this, that uh, some kind of a treat might be a substitute for or might just be a representation of? Uh, you see? So I, I can actually learn a lot about myself by paying attention to what I'm attracted to. That's actually what keeps my husband in business. He's a hypnotherapist, and he explores the subconscious attractions of our um, both our desires and our fears. So um, you have 12 powers that you discuss. What are some of the other more powerful ones? Well, there is one that's actually called power. And that power, the aspects of that power are our ability to concentrate. So I think about that as like a laser beam focus, uh, our power of concentration, our power of self-mastery, because ultimate power is 
is mastering ourselves, <laughs> mastering our own uh, mood, our own, um, you know, our own appetites. So we were just talking about them, mastering ourselves. And then uh, also power has an aspect of power is authority. And we don't necessarily like that word authority, but of course I'm talking about self, self-knowing authority. So it's being able to speak with power because the center of this power faculty is actually in the throat, in the throat chakra. So speaking with authority means that I have ingested that, that understanding and it's become such a part of me that when I speak, I am clear and I am, and I am, you know, standing in that position of self-knowing. So that's a, it's an important one. And of course, one of my favorites, um, has to do with the power of audacity, which is, is an aspect of our power of zeal, which is natural enthusiasm, um, our zest for life, so to speak, and our audacity, our ability to be bold, to stand boldly in the truth that we know, to be bigger than we thought we, we could be, to be able to, um, to speak up when something isn't right, and to be able to do that in such a way that we get attention in a positive way rather than either get laughed out of town or, or shrink away you know, in ridicule, um, to be able to really you know, speak when we need to speak. Uh, and devotion. I mean, because to me, zeal is my devoted um, attention on on what is inspiring to me. So that's another. There's, so there's, they're all they're all just magnificent powers. I think my favorite was the power of imagination. <laughs> well, and that power is our ability to conceive, to conceive an idea, to hold a vision of what can be. And then to live into it, to actually embody that. You know, and this is something, I, I, Neville Goddard is a, is a classic metaphysician, was a classic metaphysician. He spoke about imagination as a superpower. And in fact, he equated our capacity for imagination to, to the Christ nature. He considered that the Jesus Christ uh, power, or the I am the principle of I am is being able to imagine the best of what I'm here to be and then to live it, to be that. It's, it's incredible. Oh, I love that. So, so often, you know, people don't allow themselves the, the, the freedom to imagine. You know, they, they kind of pull down the shutters. They set limits on, as if they were not worthy of having the, the, the highest, best vision for themselves, having, having whatever job or, or living arrangements. You, you have a wonderful example of the, the chap who was living in his mother's apartment, sleeping on the floor, uh, not really daring to, to wish for more. Anyway, we do have to take our last break, and then we will be back with Linda Martellowitzet speaking about divine audacity.
Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. Has the universe been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight, and I've interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World, Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it, they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives, and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. Linda Martella Whitsett. Linda, before the break, we were talking about the different powers. Now, um, why would people want to cultivate these powers? What, what do you? What is your hope for the book? What do you want to empower people to do with it? Well, I really believe that that we are here to be a light in the world. That that every one of us is here to impact uh, the world, and, and by that I mean to impact others, to make a difference to others. We, we do that whether we're conscious of it or not, but what I find is that when I am conscious about it, when I walk into an, an encounter with another person, having prepared to make a positive difference, oh my goodness, what's possible? What can happen then is so much greater than what I could do just unconsciously or just as a, you know, as a matter of just walking around. Uh, and, and I love, you know, Gandhi's quote on this, when there's light in the, where, when there is light or where there's light in the soul, there is beauty in the person. And when there's beauty in the person, there's harmony within the home. When there's harmony within the home, there's order in the nation. And when there's order in the nation, there's peace in the world. And so I just really feel that this is what we're all here to do and to be. And so that if I would consciously um, cultivate, study and learn more about and cultivate each of these aspects of my spiritual powers, I'm doing what Jesus said we, we're all here to do, to be the light of the world. And I'm doing it in a conscious way. So I'm not only improving my own life experience, but I am making a difference everywhere I go. And isn't that what we want? We speak so much of consciousness and presence, to, to be present. Um, and, and without this you know, intention 
to make a difference. We go through life like sleepwalkers. So in my reading of your book, I just felt it as an impassioned plea for people to wake up and enter into the fullness of their being using all the whole range of their powers. How do you think that readers can use best develop these spiritual abilities? Well, I would recommend that they would, you know, either intuitively or in an orderly way, whatever whatever works, because there's just no one right way, but just to pick up the book and read one of the aspects of one of the powers and um, and and do some of the, uh, the exercises that at, at the end of the chapter and um, and then make a decision to to be conscious about using that aspect of their power throughout the day, throughout the coming week. I mean, some people want to want to really develop you know, develop it with some time to be able to give some time to it every day, and others, um, you know, just maybe just choose one each day and let it be sort of the fodder for their day to start the day with the intention of being the light of the world in this particular way. You know, whenever I start a meeting with an, with a staff member or with a volunteer here in my in my ministry, we always begin with the moment of silence, and then we each speak into the room our intention. And so the intention is one of these. I want to be an expression of one of these powers. I want to be clear. I want to be uh, a visionary. I want to be, in you know, rooted in my power of love. And then we we and then and then we do. Then we're more likely to be conscious about it. It's a very active, uh, an active way to study, to cultivate, and to try it on, and then to then to, to live it. It becomes more a part of us. I think more and more people are having just an incredibly deep desire to make their mark in the world, to somehow give back to humanity, and. I think your book, uh, Divine Audacity, is is a lovely guide to, and and reinforcement to those internal impulses. So um, beautiful, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I really believe that it's an it's an antidote to the sort of meaninglessness that um, so many are walking around afraid afraid that that that's all there is, you know, and also their own feelings of not being worthy. I think to just Get off that subject and just say, "I'm just going to, I'm just going to insert this uh, this power into my life. I'm just going to presume that it's so, and I'm going to start acting like it." And voila, I begin to, <laughs> I begin to change my life and my own my own self awareness. <laughs> we do have that power. Well, Linda, thank you very much for being with us today and for writing this lovely book, Divine Audacity. Dare to be the light of the world. Tell us again your website. It's you are you are divine dot com. So that's the letters you are dash divine dot com. Thank you, Linda. Oh, uh, thank you so much. This was so rich and wonderful. <laughs> and please join me next week when my guest will be filmmaker Sharon Rose. We'll be discussing her film, The Last Avatar. Until then, I invite you to visit New Consciousness Review on ncreview.com and leave through our content-packed multimedia magazine. You can subscribe for free and never miss an issue. Like us on Facebook uh, at NC Review. 
Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Be good to yourself, do good in the world, and as Linda says, let your light shine. <laughs>